The traditions of Ireland are doing better than ever. In fact, the old Celtic language that had to be hidden from the colonial rulers is now a required course in school. The Irish language is so close to our hearts and it's an expression of what we stand for as Irish people. Coming up, we'll also hear how the 18th century Illin pipes, a uniquely Irish type of bagpipe, are making a comeback. Illin is a funny word. It's an Irish word for elbow, and it is uh, the most complex form of bagpipe in the world. And we'll share a bit of the teasing that's part of the crack you might find at a lively Irish pub. Because we've been oppressed and ruled for so long, we kind of had to make fun of ourselves. And the Irish are known for being good storytellers, too. Remember that time at the hurling championship? Muhammad Ali watched the final once and our Prime Minister turned to him and said, would you like to be out there with a stick, Muhammad? And he said, I'd hate to be out there without one. It's an all-Irish hour ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Stay with us. In Ireland, they call it the crack. Coming up on this all-Irish edition of Travel with Rick Steves, we get a taste of the ribbing and the friendly banter that you might encounter in the pubs of Ireland from a couple of friends who live in the rival counties of Kerry and Cork. And musician Kieran O'Hare tells us about the wind instruments that keep Irish traditions breathing, like the illin pipes and the tin whistle. If there's one thing everyone in Ireland can agree on, it's that the Irish really have a way with words. Let's start with a look at the eloquence that springs from their original Celtic language. Dara Herlihy grew up speaking Irish as his first language on the scenic Dingle Peninsula in the southwest of Ireland. His family has run the local Dingle Music Shop for years, where folk musicians have often gathered for jam sessions. Just down the street, Dara also owns Nelligan's Bar. It's also a music venue. He just reopened it a few months ago after a lengthy pandemic closure. Dara, welcome back to Travel with Rick Steves. I'm saying, uh, hi, how are you all today? It's, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. I'm thankful you speak English too. <laughs> Say that again in Gaelic, what you just said. Falta Rov Galer, There are how many people on the planet do you think could understand what you just said? I'd say about a million people, give or take. There are probably about 130,000 people in Ireland who actually speak the Irish language, but they're probably upwards of a million who have a good comprehension of the Irish language. It has gone less um, up to the time of the famine, and after the famine we had a mass um, emigration and mass deaths in the Irish language, or a lot of it died. And in the last 20 to 25 years there's been a huge revival of the Irish language. Now we have great grants in place for people to speak the Irish language. So... A million people understand Gaelic now. Is the number going up or going down? The number is going up, definitely. It's going the right direction. It's a very slow and steady pace, but there are great incentives in place for people to learn the Irish language now. If you're doing your leaving certificate, which is the equivalent of your um, your finishing school, you get an extra 10% on your points through your educational system if you do it through the Irish language. Oh, they favour you if you speak Irish, they favor Irish you speak in higher education in, on the island of Ireland. That's correct. Because uh, I, I just, the practical person in me says, why bother to learn a language that only a million people speak when you can learn English? What is it that drives a person to speak a language that only a, a I suppose for centuries speak? it's been, you know, it dumbed down the Irish language. It's been, we've been told that we can't be Irish, we can't speak the Irish language, whereas now we have a chance to express ourselves. And the Irish language is so close to our hearts and it's an expression of what we stand for as Irish people, yeah. which is why it's such an important part of our history. So it's an assertion of being Irish. Absolutely. Speak the language. It really and you're is. proud of being Irish and it's just right to have that language. Totally and utterly. And again, because it's not vastly spoken, it's like having our own private language in some respects. <laughs> Which now, can be very if, convenient. if a traveller wants to hear Irish spoken, what part of Ireland would you go to? 
There are a variety of pockets of Ireland. Um, they're called Gaeltacht areas, and Gaeltacht is the, the Irish for an Irish-speaking area. So Dingle. in English, I would say Gaeltac, a, a Gael. Gaelic-speaking region, literally. Precisely. Yeah. It's literally translated. And Dingle is one of those areas. Now, are these subsidized by the government so that uh, people are sort of having an easier time economically there if yeah. they live the traditional ways? There are grants given to schools um, to encourage the Irish language, and there are also um, grants given to um, local communities in order to have language programs, so on and so forth. A lot of people participate in those. So the central government in Dublin is encouraging this. Absolutely. And it's effective what yeah. they're doing. It's widely encouraged. And again, the Irish language is, is unlike um, past centuries, it's now cool again. So this is a natural revival for the Irish language, which is great. Good. It's interesting to me when I go to Ireland that I'm so charmed by the gift of gab. We all know about the gift of gab. But the gift of gab really, in a, in a nicer way to put it, I think, is the art of conversation. Now, help me out on this, uh, Dara, because my theory is when you speak to an Irishman who speaks Gaelic as his first language and is speaking to you in English, he thinks with a template, a linguistic template of Gaelic, and then he's translating it literally and talking to you in English, but he's more interesting and entertaining in his English language because it's got this Gaelic kind of structure does that make any sense to you? I understand what you're saying, um, but I think that the, the Irish are just natural-born talkers. So uh, whether they speak Gaelic or English. I, precisely. Yeah. I know people who were born with English and people who were born with Irish, and they can tell a story as good as the next fella. Oh, so it's <laughs> this so love speak. of storytelling? I think it's the love of storytelling and, and the, the art of storytelling. I mean, storytelling dates back to, to the very early times in Ireland, and we're big into our Irish jokes and our Irish culture and... But my sense is you go to a pub and, and it's driven not by a screen with a, with a sports event, but by people talking to each That's other. That's something I love about Ireland. And no disrespect to the US, I love it over here and I do a lot of things here. But I walk into a bar here and there's 50 flat screen televisions in front of me and everybody's staring at them. <laughs> you walk into a bar in Ireland and more often than not, there's no television. There's Irish music and there's interaction and there's a beer in front of you. And, you know, there's a, a great sign in a pub in um, Northern Ireland that says, no Wi-Fi, please talk to each other. <laughs> That's a perfect example of what an Irish bar should stand And for. as a traveler, what a great entree into getting into connecting with the locals. Absolutely. Yeah. Is it right that you'd better sit at the bar than at a table if you want to Absolutely, speak with people? Absolutely. You know, That's you a practical see, tip. You it? sit at the bar, you, you walk in, uh, I'll use Dingle as an example because it's my hometown, but you walk in and there's an old fella sitting at the bar counter and he's the best guy to talk to because he knows everybody in the room, he knows who's a tourist, where's to go, what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. And even if he doesn't know, he'll lie about it. And it's all part of the entertainment. <laughs> Entertainment. He's like he's like an entertainment uh, there's machine. There's some things money just he's can't just, buy. <laughs> you <laughs> you know. cannot buy that. For buy him a drink or, or, yeah. you know. Dara Herlihy is our guide to the Irish language right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Share your own stories about Ireland in our listeners' forum. You'll find it in the radio section at ricksteves.com. When you think about Gaelic, there's I think there's like originally seven Gaelic languages, weren't there? What, what, originally what's the status seven, of all the no, different Gaelic um, languages? And now really, I mean, you've, the, I suppose, the, the prominent um, Gaelics that are, there's Irish, which is in Ireland, and there's Scots Gaelic. And they're probably the two most prominent um, survivors. Le- survivors. Which With, ones have died? Um, well, within those barriers, you have different dialects which exist within those. Like in Ireland, we have four different dialects. Okay. So, for example, in the south of Ireland, I say Conestantu, uh-huh. which is how are you, and the same phrase in Northern Ireland is keiku wiltu. Oh, so, so it's exactly the same language, the... but it's a totally different dialect. So there's a variety of different dialects, and 
Um, I think the, the stronger ones are probably Munster Irish, which is the Irish which I'm used to, and there's mm-hmm. the Northern Irish and the Scots Gaelic, and they're probably the two different Irishes but three different dialects. Can you understand Scots Gaelic? Not very well. So it's, it a, sounds it's like a Gaelic a, language, but it's like German and English or pre- something. Precisely. It just sounds like a totally different language. So there know. is a living Scottish Gaelic language today. Yes. Irish, there's Welsh that's still spoken. Yeah. And then Cornish is dead. Britain and the west of France dead. is dead. And there was Gaelic in northwest Spain. And that's dead as well at so this point. So really, uh, the healthy languages among the Gaelic languages, Wales and Ireland. Yeah, Scotland even, the, even, even the Welsh Gaelic is, is um, uh, so a Irish is run down, you know. Yeah. And Scots Gaelic is still quite popular in Scotland, I think, again, because it's associated with your, with your freedom or so to speak, you know, given so our, our latest what's referendum. What's another example of how the Irish government is, is promoting and safeguarding the Irish language? Well, we have a lot of Irish colleges in Ireland, and as I say, one of the major factors is the fact that they give you 10% on your end-of-year, right. um, you know, marks to encourage you to speak the Irish language. There are also a lot of grants um, given to local communities to speak the Irish language. There's grants for the local radio programs to be in the Irish language. There's grants for the local television programs, again, to show or to televise programs. And I heard that the, the laws in Ireland need to be written first in first in Gaelic in or Gaelic. first in Irish, and then translated into English. So they're written originally in the Irish and then translated. That's correct. Yeah, and also another um, major thing that they introduced recently, well, in the last ten years, was that all place names in Ireland would have both their place names in the Irish language and in the English language. And the people generally agree with that? They're Absolutely. Um, so overall, right. <laughs> there's obviously been a little bit of controversy. Now, there's some interesting sounds in Gaelic, I think, when you're trying to pick up some, some Gaelic, and it's kind of, as a tour guide, it must be fun to be teaching people. <laughs> it can be fun, yeah. There's some basic Irish words which are, are very easy to use. You know, key Irish words for us would be falta. Falta. Which is welcome. Yeah. And then another big one would be um, slanta. That you say in a bar when you get a beer, it's like slanta is it's basically a toast, and if yeah. it's literally translated, the word means health. A lot of people say cheers, but the, the reality slanta. is cheers has no actual meaning, whereas the word slanta is to your health. Now, a lot of Irish that speak English, they've got a, a little bit of a, you wouldn't say speech impediment, but they <laughs> pronounce things kind of funny because they speak Gaelic first. They do, and they find that um, a lot of people who don't speak Irish as a first language, or don't speak Gaelic as a first language, they find it difficult to pronounce the CHs. Like the prime minister of our country, the equivalent of our prime minister, is called a Taoiseach. And at the end of that, there's a CH, so it's Taoiseach. Whereas a lot of people who don't speak Irish say Taoiseach. Okay, so you can identify if they've... Absolutely. Got and, and TH is tough too, isn't it? Yeah, TH is like a Tach. Tach. Uh, no, tach. And so, then say, he came, Chánig, She. So there's a TH for he came, Chánig, She. So can you say, like if you say... Three and a third, what would you say? <laughs> In the Irish language? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you were saying 33, for example, yeah. it would be trucha tree. Trucha tree. All right. So 33 and a third. Edward the third. <laughs> Edward the third. Is Edward the third, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah. The H doesn't Edward exist in the English if you speak Irish. This is the problem. <laughs> That's the deal. That's <laughs> yeah, why exactly. you hear the uh, Irish referring yeah. to Edward the third. So the Irish that, don't, uh, that speak Gaelic first don't pronounce their H's. <laughs> this is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking Irish here with Dara Herlihy. And Dara, a big part of the Irish culture and language is the music. I know you're a musician. Uh, when you go to a pub, a lot of times you'll hear Gaelic being sung in the pub, even in a place that's not a Gaeltech. Absolutely. And the, the Irish language is definitely, a, there's a huge revival on it in the last couple of years, and particularly the last 20 or so. And the, to hear Irish songs and to hear people speaking Irish, it's, it's like listening to poetry. It's like know. poetry and it connects the past with the present. Yeah, it really does. Even if you don't understand the, the words of an Irish song, there's something that, that connects with your soul uh, when it comes to the Irish language. There's something far deeper than the words that are being said. You experience that in a pub, especially with the lament. Can we close? Especially just with after it? Just, alcohol. 
a little alcohol and <laughs> a little lament with a lot of it's new all part Irish of the friends. mix. <laughs> can we just close with one stanza of some uh, Irish lament? So Abs- we can hear a little bit of your beautiful language. Absolutely, there's a lovely song called Shemalech Ma'ilamar, political love song written in the 1840s. It's over 21 verses. It's absolutely beautiful. I won't get into the history of it. I know you're restricted with time, but I'll sing a verse for you. So what were the general words of that? If you literally translate that, it's noble, proud, young horseman, warrior, unsaddened, of most pleasant content, a swift, moving hand, quick in a fight, slaying the enemy and smitting the strong. Dara, just talking to you reminds me what a joy it is to go to Ireland. And, of course, you can see the castles and the galleries and the museums. But if you don't get into a pub and share a beer with a local right there at the bar and speak some Gaelic, you're uh, missing the Irish boat. Uh, so when are we going to see you in Ireland again, Rick? Before you can imagine. I'll see you there soon. Dara, thank you so much for no joining problem. us. I look forward to it. Thank you. Slante. If you listen to the wind in Ireland, you just might hear a melody that's been played for generations. Up next, a master of the Illin Pipes explains the role of wind instruments in traditional Irish music. It's Travel with Rick Steves. The arts are an important part of the Irish spirit. Great music is easy to find in the pubs and concert halls of the Emerald Isle. American-born Kieran O'Hare is one of the performers you might happen to see on stage playing the Irish bagpipe, flute, or tin whistle. Kieran earned an honors degree in modern Irish history from the prestigious Trinity College in Dublin and he's become a fixture in the traditional music of Ireland on both sides of the Atlantic. Kieran, how'd you first get interested in the music of Ireland? We grew up in an Irish-American house here, and my brother Sean and I started playing tin whistles when we were very young. My dad always had LPs of Irish music around the house growing up, so it just became natural to play around the house, and um, that uh, interest in music took me to the other instruments that I play and ultimately led me to move to Ireland for several years, actually. So you studied at Trinity College? I did, it's actually. quite an impressive college, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It was, uh, I say to people, it was a bit like being in Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating place to be and very, very rich life. And within a 10-minute walk, all sorts of pubs with live folk music every night. It must have really stoked your interest in traditional music. Well, I actually paid a lot of my way through college by playing in those very pubs, you know. Is that right? I did. Now, when we think about traditional Irish folk music, this is traditional, but it's also modern. How is it in Ireland that traditional music is is so in the forefront? Well, the short answer is that it never died. It's not an act of recreation or reconstruction to play Irish music or sing Irish songs. Mm-hmm. It's a tradition that has continued. Um, mm-hmm. It's continued in Ireland, and it's continued wherever people from Ireland have moved. Now, the instrumentation for me is interesting. Of course, you've got a singer, a fiddle, guitar, the drums, accordion, and you're into the wind instruments, the bagpipes, the wooden flute, and the tin whistle. That's right. Tell us about the board you're on, which is uh, relating to the bagpipes. Well, the instrument that I play is called the illin pipes, and illin is a funny word. It's an Irish word for elbow, and spelled U-I-L-L-E-A-N-N, and it is uh, the most complex form of bagpipe in the world developed pretty much in the 18th century, but is still played today. And there's an organization that was founded in 1968. There was fear the instrument would die out. So some people got together to preserve it and spread it and uh, protect the tradition. 
How's it doing? It was like an endangered species. Absolutely. Is it coming back? There were just a few old men that played or made the instrument at one point, and now there are children in countries all over the world and uh, interest in the instrument. There are more pipers playing today than there have been at any point in history. Now, to me, a bagpipe is sort of a bag full of air that you fill up by blowing into it, and then you squeeze it, and that blows on the reeds instead of your own breath blowing on the reeds directly, and then you play a little... Uh, stick like a flute, and it's powered like um, pipes through in a pipe organ or something like that. That's a very simplistic look at it. How is an illen pipe different from the typical bagpipe we would see in Scotland, for instance? Well, the Scottish pipes are of a family called mouth-blown pipes, where you inflate that reservoir of air with your mouth. The mm-hmm. Irish pipes are in a different family of instruments called the bellows-blown pipes. So we sit down to play, and we fill the bag with a bellows that's strapped around our waist. Oh, so you don't have that straw in your mouth to fill it up? Like no, a, not like at an all. Irish, like a Scottish bagpiper. Right, and that, that bag serves as a reservoir for air for the seven different reeded pipes that make up the instrument. It's a double reed like an oboe? Well, the chanter upon which the melody is played is double reed. There's uh-huh. three more pipes called regulators with keys for chords that have double reeds, and then three drones that sound a continuous note, and those have single reeds. As a musician and as a, an Irish piper, how are you thankful for the technology in an Irish bagpipe that lets you do more things than in a Scottish bagpipe? Well, because you're using air from the room rather than air that's been pumped with your lungs, the instrument can be made very, very quiet. So it's basically not much louder than a fiddle. So that makes an indoor instrument that can be played without the strident sounds that we often associate with the Scottish pipes. Strident. That's a nice way to put it. Strident. Yeah, it is a nice way to put it. I mean, a Scottish bagpipe would be better on the battlefield when you want to scare your enemies. Of the Scottish pipes, uh, Oscar Wilde once remarked, thank God there is no smell. (laughs) That's very good, because I can imagine if you're on the battlefield and you hear that, you're going to run in terror. And if you had to smell it, too, I think you'd probably throw (laughs) your weapons up in the air at the same time. So when you're in Ireland and you're playing the Illin Pipes... First of all, the chanter. Tell us about that. What's its range? The chanter has a two-octave range, which is also pretty unique among bagpipes. The Scottish pipes have a range of only nine notes. So the Illin pipes are relatively chromatic. I mean, reluctantly chromatic over two octaves. And then when you want to play with musicality, you've got grace notes, you've got staccato, tremolo, vibrato. Can you do those things and a set of bagpipes. Well, it's all done, those techniques that you're talking about are done either with the fingers or by in changing the pressure on the bag or by lifting the chanter up and down from the knee upon which it's placed. The whole package basically comes together to an instrument that is claimed to have the sound closer to that of the human voice than almost any other. At least that's one of the bits of credit we like to give ourselves. Our guide into the traditional wind instruments of Ireland is Kieran O'Hare. Kieran is an Irish-American from New England who's been educated in Dublin and even served on the board of the Society of Irish Pipers. You might hear Kieran playing the Illin Pipes on any number of recordings of Irish music as well as with his own trio called Open the Door for Three. Their website is openthedoorforthree.com. Now, when you get a session in an Irish pub, let's say you're just taking a walk into the right neighborhood in Galway, and you've got a bunch of friends getting together, it's pretty casual. They don't know for sure who's going to show up. You'll generally have a fiddle, you'll have a, you'll have a guitar, you'll have a singer, you'll probably have somebody playing the drums. What's the Irish drums called? Oh, the, the Irish drum is called a bowron. Bowron, yeah. Right. And that just comes together. And for me, that's nice and complete, but here comes a guy with some illin pipes. What do the rest of the musicians think? 
they're either thrilled or terrorized, uh, depending on the quality of the piper, I suppose. Uh, the Illin pipes are a notoriously difficult instrument to play, and uh, it's a double-edged sword in a right. lot of ways, you know. Now, there's other wind instruments, uh, most famous, the tin whistle. Absolutely. And uh, you've got a tin whistle here. Can you just um, give me an education in, in the Irish tin whistle? Well, you know, there have been um, what we call end-blown flutes in Ireland for millennia. So we find these things at different uh, prehistoric sites around the country. But it's basically a six-hold instrument. looks very much like a very simple recorder. And the prehistoric ones would be made out of uh, bone? Bone, exactly. Yeah, bone or eagle wood. bone flutes That's were a right. big deal in biblical times. That's and right. Why is tin an advantage over, over bone or wood? Well, there was a company in, in England, actually, in the 19th century called the Clark's Penny Whistle and Pea Shooter Company that uh, started making these cheap instruments. Penny Whistle and, and Pea Shooter. I can imagine it being one and the same. <laughs> yeah, if you close all the holes, it's pretty good for a pea shooter. <laughs> Uh, but those started to be, you know, they're very cheap, and they were a prototype for an instrument that basically traveled around the world. Yeah. It was very simple, very cheap flute. So I'm used to hearing very cheap penny whistles. I mean, I guess that's why they call them a penny whistle. Right. Pretty crummy, tinny sound and played by a pretty crummy, tinny kid right. when it comes to music. You're a professional tin whistle player. Show right. Us, show us what the what the whistle sounds like. Oh, sure, absolutely. Here's a tune uh, that comes from a great whistle player from uh, Doolin in County Clare, a man called Michael Russell. So there's a lot of grace notes. There's a lot of uh, vibrato. Uh, is that actually written into the music, or is that what a musician will, will give as his personal um, take on that particular tune? Well, the, that's a great question. The music is first and foremost an oral tradition, and it, it, though it is written down, it's not transmitted that way. So okay. when you use these different techniques, you're reflecting different styles of different regions and players around the country. Demonstrate something else that you can do with the tin whistle that makes you like the tin whistle as a musician. Well, as a very cheap and inexpensive instrument, it's capable of all the expression um, that is inherent in the art form that is Irish traditional music. So for slower tunes, it's very expressive. And you had that it sort of slides into it. Are there semitones? Is it, or is it just like, you know, on a, on a regular scale, we have F, F-sharp, G, G-sharp. Is it that simple for uh, a flutist? Um, we actually make use of, because the holes on these instruments are open rather than covered with a key like a modern flute, mm -hmm. we can slide our finger to, you know, gradually slide from one note to the next. And it's one of the ways of putting expression into slow music, for example, which is a reflection of the style of singing in Irish. So, so you're, the music, when you hear the, the lyrics, it's just so heartfelt. I love nothing more than a lament where you're in a big noisy pub and all of a sudden there's a silence and a singer, usually a woman, sings a lament, a cappella. You could do the same with a flute, with a penny whistle, Absolutely. with a tin whistle. You could be sitting in a pub, you could be sitting on a bluff thinking about some battle or some struggle or some heartfelt story from Ireland's past. Let's hear the, the Irish tin whistle doing that job. Great. Well, there's a, this would be a very, very old melody called The Dark Slender Boy, and it's either a love song about this dark slender boy that the singer yearns for in the lyric, or it's an allegory about the evils of drink.
This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Kieran O'Hare. We're learning about Irish traditional folk music, specifically the Illin pipes, that would be the Irish bagpipes, and the tin whistle. Kieran, what's the range of this tin whistle you're holding? Again, it's two octaves, just like the Illin pipes. Just like the Illin pipes. That's right. All right, and... Uh, when I was a kid, I learned the recorder because that was the easiest thing to play in fourth grade, you know, and I suppose schools all over the world have these wooden flutes, similar in technique to a tin whistle, but much more simple, I guess. But there was always happy jigs. Is there a happy jig on your tin whistle? Oh, sure, absolutely. Jigs are one of the great indigenous art forms of Irish music. Make me want to get up and dance. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Kieran O'Hare, and I suppose your tin whistle gets a little extra workout on St. Patrick's Day. Oh. If you're in a pub with a lot of good friends and they said, Kieran, it's time to celebrate St. Patty's Day. Get out that whistle. What would you play? Uh, probably a reel, the favorite type of tune of traditional musicians everywhere. Happy St. Patrick's Day. And the same to you. Thanks. We have links to Kieran's trio, Open the Door for Three, with the notes for this week's show at ricksteves.com slash radio. Sarah McCormick went to Ireland to get acquainted with the land that some of her ancestors came from. She brought back this report about the art of storytelling she so enjoyed on the MLI. The Irish are famous for their gift of gab. And the husband says to her, you don't like Mary's boyfriend. On my first visit to Ireland... I found that they lived up to their reputation. We all know about the Blarney Stone. It's an actual stone in a castle in County Cork that's said to confer the gift of gab on those who kiss it. And for such a small island, Ireland has produced more than its share of the world's great storytellers. William Butler Yeats, James Joyce, Oscar Wilde, and this young man. And there's a tree over there that's over 500 years old. So what's behind this? The roots of Irish eloquence run deep. In ancient Celtic Ireland, bards called Shanachie were the official keepers of Irish culture and history. Years ago in Ireland, there was no such things as mirror. And I'm sure you're all wondering how the women managed when there was no mirror. I'll tell you and it was an entirely oral storytelling tradition, with nothing written down. Shanaki mastered a repertoire of stories and performed them artfully to rapt audiences, thereby passing folklore and stories down through the generations. They would talk about stories that would go on for three nights. There are still professional storytellers in Ireland today. Johnny Daly is one of the modern Irish storytellers who's trying to revive and preserve the tradition. It's, it's like something ancient primeval in us that we just love stories. We. We entertained ourselves for thousands of years with stories, you know. Daly told me about the work of the Irish Folklore Commission, which was set up by the government in 1935. They were afraid that they were going to lose a lot of their folklore and the stories, and they actually got, I think it's about 100,000 children to go out to all their, their grandparents in particular 
with their copybooks and get them to tell them the folklore and the stories that they'd grown up with, the fairy stories. The Daly made a study of Irish folklore. He now holds court most evenings at the Brazen Head in Dublin, which claims to be Ireland's oldest pub. He treats customers to an evening of Irish folklore and fairy stories. And the fairies, realizing what had happened, they turned around and they started to stampede around them in a circle to try and get her back. They finally gave up, but just as they left, one of the fairies leaned over on his horse and I came across him. this man who was singing songs and telling stories in the back of a little pub in County Mayo. He told us he was 82 years old. The place was packed with tourists and locals hanging on his every word. And to tell you the truth, she's no beauty queen either. I think, to put it very crudely, we're very good at bullshitting. <laughs> and, you know, there's, it's in our genes that we like to talk, we like to notice things. That's Michal Demora, director of the Great Blasket Heritage Centre on the tip of the Dingle Peninsula on the west coast of Ireland. The centre is a museum devoted to the people who lived just off the coast on the rugged Blasket Islands until the 1950s. They were subsistence farmers and fishermen who spoke only Gaelic, which is called Irish here. But what's most remarkable about them is the literary legacy they left behind. In the 1920s and 30s, the tiny population of the Blasket Islands spawned its own literary renaissance and produced a collection of books chronicling their lives and local folklore, all in their native Irish language. I don't know of any community that numbered uh, less than 200 souls that produced so many books. I would like to hear about such a community anywhere in the world because I haven't heard of them up to now and I've been here a long time. Demora doesn't think it's an accident that this happened in Ireland. The basic psyche of uh, uh, especially people who speak Gaelic, you know, they need to communicate with people. They need to say what's in their head, you know. And they're, sometimes they bore you. Sometimes you get very, very good speakers and you listen to them forever and ever. Amen. The Blasket Heritage Centre is in an area of County Kerry designated as part of the Goyaltect, regions within Ireland where Irish, not English, is the official Bernie language. Bernie is them. Bernie Moriarty grew up in a village in the Kerry Goyaltect. Her family spoke Irish at home, and she was taught in the Irish language at school. Moriarty thinks there's something about the Irish language itself that explains her people's penchant for lively self-expression. It does have that richness that English just doesn't touch. Turn a phrase that generates a feeling a lot quicker than English does. Moriarty teaches Irish to schoolchildren and also offers classes in Dingle to tourists uh, wanting to learn the language. She gave me a little lesson. Einskiel. That's any story. So you could greet someone with that. Einskiel. Any story. Now that can't be a coincidence. Isn't that the parish priest that was here before me? <laughs> That's it. From the island of Silvertongue Storytellers, this is Sarah McCormick for Travel with Rick Steves. A wee bit of banter and good cheer to get you into the spirit of St. Patrick's Day. That's just around the corner on Travel with Rick Steves. Hello, my name is Barry Maloney from County Cork on the south coast of Ireland. And I'm going to share with you my favourite Irish saying. In the Irish language, the saying goes, On te harvas skeil kugat, tarfig she da skeil uat which means, he who comes with a story will bring two away from you. And I love that saying because it 
makes me think about the way the Irish love to talk, share stories, gossip, basically. And uh, an example of that is a month or so ago, I was in, our, in my hometown, Kinsale, walking through the little farmer's market, and I overheard two ladies kind of whispering, half whispering. One whispered to the other, she said, tell me more about that story. And of course, I listened in. The second lady replied, she said, I can't tell you any more about that story. Sure, I've already told you more than I heard myself. I think Ireland is one of the best places in the world for interacting with people, on the street, in a shop, and definitely in the pub. Joining us now for a taste of the Irish gift for entertaining conversation is my longtime Irish tour guiding friend Stephen McPhillamy. Stephen was raised in Derry in the north, but he's been living in the Republic of Ireland now for the last few years, where he operates the Milltown Guest House. It's on the harbor in Dingle. And not far from there, Liam O'Reardon hails from County Cork, deep in the south of Ireland. Liam is a singer of traditional Irish ballads, and he joins Stephen and me right now to help define what the crack is all about in Ireland. Liam and Stephen, welcome. Great to be here, Rick. Thank you. Is it uh, Guinness or Murphy's, Liam? Definitely Murphy's, Rick. Um, I, I just thought when you order a beer in Ireland, it comes Guinness. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you I, live in a disadvantaged yeah, part of the deep, the deep south, and uh, you don't get the Guinness. Uh, Guinness is brewed in Dublin, and I'm led to believe that it has one chemical, which they use to break down the yeast because it makes they, they have to brew so much. Murphy's is brewed in Cork, where I come from. It doesn't have any chemicals. <laughs> okay. And it's the only city in Cork that I know that brews two stouts. It brews Murphout and Beamish Stout. Beamish. 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 Okay, okay now mm-hmm. a stout. So Guinness is a stout. Mm-hmm. It's the dark beer where you can draw Strong. a shamrock on the head and it's still there mm-hmm. three minutes later. Mm-hmm. We're not uh, drinking Guinness here, but we are drinking a nice beer. Let's say uh, Schlancha. 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 And Guinness is drunk all over Ireland. It's stouts very popular up the north, but we don't really have much Murphy's. In Northern Ireland, where I live, Murphy's, we don't drink it at all, really. I mean, people in Northern Ireland have suffered enough. <laughs> I love it. You got a Corkman here. Did you understand what he said, Rick? I didn't know what was Because that ex- accent is very peculiar. It's not, it's not Irish at all, I think. Corkman, a Corkman. <laughs> I've heard that um, County Cork is, a, is like a, a frame of mind, or what is it about? A state of mind. What's, what's Cork to you? Lee? Well, there was a, a T-shirt produced recently. It said... Irish by birth, Cork by the grace of God. Oh, isn't that nice? So, like, you know, Stephen? it's just... And the rest of us are all in the background, almost thrown up when we hear all this stuff. And we, we do admire the Cork men, like, for their pride. There's no doubt about that. And Michael Collins came from Cork, Michael right? Collins mm-hmm. came I mean, from he's Cork. sort of the great, the patriotic rebel. Them, yeah. Well, but not, well not, not all the country think Collins is great. That, you know, half the country wouldn't, wouldn't have thought okay, that so, Collins was a hero. Uh, but... We do admire the Cork men, but everybody loves to beat them and, and poke fun at them. But they're, they're definitely great fun. I remember meeting a Cork businessman once, and I said, you're a businessman in Cork. He said, I'm not a businessman. I'm a merchant prince. <laughs> Is that not the worst attempt at a Cork accent? I was going to say, no, no, no. I think when Stephen does an Irish accent, he does, as an Irishman, he does a Cork accent, don't you? I think I do a Cork accent. He doesn't think I do it right. <laughs> I, I, met, I met a Cork man once. We were talking about the Cork soccer player, Roy Keane, who plays in midfield. I said, he's a great midfielder. He said, he's not a midfielder. He's a midfield general. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's delusions of grandeur there. Uh, but I have to say, in fairness, most of our great patriots and sports teams have all come from Cork and in Ireland, if you're good at Gaelic football, you're usually useless at hurling. 
And if you're good at hurling, you're usually used as a Gaelic football, you know, your county. Now, hurling, and, a lot of Americans might think that's barfing. Oh, sorry, yeah. That's our <laughs> native uh, ancient sport played with sticks in a ball, not throwing up for, you know. Because <laughs> you know, when we think that. hurling... No, but we should know that when you go to... How would you describe hurling, the, the sport? Well, uh, first of all, it's the fastest field sport in I know. the world. It seems to world. me... I always say it's, it's like airborne hockey with no and, entry um, timeouts. I'm one of the fortunates to come from Cork. We're, we're, we're both good at hurling, which is our game, and, foot, and Gaelic football. Hurling is, um, the instruments they use are made of ash. It's like a flat baseball bat, I mm-hmm. would address it as. Usually the length differs and the height of the guy. Oh, it's hard to describe. I suppose it's from time to time people describe it as lacrosse. But I'm sure a lot of the Irish hurlers would prefer to be playing lacrosse sometimes because it wouldn't be as physical or bloodthirsty. You know, I, I don't I don't know the rules particularly, but it seems to me it's like, you could call it like airborne, like hockey, where you throw the puck. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can't throw it. You have to hit it with the hurley. Muhammad Ali watched the final once and our Prime Minister turned to him and said, would you like to be out there with a stick, Muhammad? And he said, I'd hate to be out there without one. <laughs> that's, so that's, that's how fierce he, a great warrior like him, no, found the game. If you get a chance to see a hurling match while in Ireland, I would highly recommend it. We're talking about uh, just that conviviality of Ireland. And, you know, y- you can go into a pub and when you go to a pub, you don't have to have a, a theme or a reason. You just go there and you know you're going to get into some good conversation. Do you sit at the bar if you want to connect with people more? Or what's your tip? Well, I would generally sit at the bar. I've never been to a pub in anywhere in Ireland that if I sat at the bar, somebody didn't say hello or how are you or where you came from. And then if you say Cork, you've got something to talk about. You're oh, probably... Well, if I say, if it was outside of Cork, I have to defend myself from the beginning, right. verbally, yeah. not physically, <laughs> verbally defend myself because some people don't um, Australians and New Zealanders have the same kind of thing exactly. going on. It's, it's like the Aussies and the Kiwis. Yeah. yeah. What about yeah. the Kerry people? Because that's a big, powerful county in the south, isn't it? Yeah, well, they're his arch rivals. The, the, <laughs> the Cork men don't like the Kerry men and vice versa. They had the greatest team ever, Gaelic football. They've won, I think, on average every three years since the game was created in the 1890s. I think 18... they have 33, 34 All-Irelands, one in football. Yeah, whereas my, right? my county, Donegal's got two, you know, so so everybody wants to beat the Kerry men. So it's like the and, New York, it's like the Yankees and the Mets. Oh, yeah, yes. absolutely. And, yeah. And, and what's your yeah. county, Stephen? My county is, well, I was uh, born in Derry, but I went to school in Donegal, so I'd cheer for both teams. But if Donegal were playing Derry, I'd go for Donegal. All right. Now, Ireland's uh, famous for its champion. blessings and also its insults. <laughs> it's interesting because you got these Irish blessings. Yes. How, how would you bless a, a, a person from County Kerry? Because uh, you're from County Cork. With a hurley. <laughs> with a what? With a hurley. What's a hurley? So that's the stick that we used to play hurley. Oh, the stick. You'd bless them on the, uh, on the, head, the bump on the hurley, head. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or the baseball bat. Yeah. How would you bless somebody? Oh, I like to say, uh, we had a great comedian once who used to always say, may your God be with you. So I always like to say that to them. May your God be with you. And then you always see them take a blank stare. With them. What? what did he just say? May your God be with you. Well, the one that I, I always live by is, um, may you be in heaven an hour before the devil knows you're dead. That's a nice one. Mm-hmm. That's a very nice That's, one. That to me is very complimentary. When Stephen's trying to do the county uh, Cork accent. He's having big difficulty. He just The accent. What, what do they, how do accents vary in Ireland, Liam? It's amazing for such a small country that each county has its own particular uh, accent. The Donegal one, where Steve comes from, is um, probably an abuse of the English language, to be honest, because they don't, you, you know, they don't pronounce their words properly and you going to put up with that? No, I'm just waiting to get the chance to intervene here. <laughs> See, a, a couple of years ago, uh, the Irish accent was voted the sexiest in the world, and then the Donegal accent was voted the sexiest in Ireland, so therefore 
Well, their uh, language is better. Obviously, their language is better looking than their men. <laughs> we're, we're in Donegal, where I'm from, it's very famous for its potatoes. You see, and in, in my county, Donegal, his county, Cork, are great rivals for growing potatoes. We're the two real potato counties. Was oh, that right? There's counties that are famous. I thought potatoes mm. were everywhere, but I, they used to be everywhere. But now these days, you're right. kind of restricted to the. They're the two big producers. Uh-huh. And in Donegal, I've heard that we have 56 varieties of potato. Now I've heard that you know Donegal men can talk about potatoes in the same way that a Frenchman would describe a grape, you know, like a Chardonnay. You know, like we like a we like a dry, fluffy potato. You're driving through Donegal and there's big signs on the side of the road saying "balls of flour for sale" because that's what they look like once they're cooked. You know, they're like baking they're like balls flour. of flour. Yeah, and you'll see signs saying "powdery balls for sale." <laughs> Powdery balls, <laughs> bragging about their potatoes. Yeah, but we call potatoes purties. P u r t i e s purties. Uh-huh. And there's a poem we used to learn at school and we like to eat the potatoes see with the skins on. So the poem was, Where do you come from, Donegal? How's your parties, big and small? How do you eat them, skins and all? Don't you choke? Not at all. <laughs> Hardly the stuff of Shakespeare. I saw a bunch of little girls selling potatoes on the side of the road once south of Dublin and uh, there was some joke about the queen. Actually, there's a type of potato in Cork called Queen's. Is that yeah. it? And the, well, the potato was originally... They were selling queens. That's what they yes. were doing, right. selling queens. queens breaking about yeah. it. I think that, correct me here maybe, but the potato was actually originally called the British Queen. That's right. But after independence, we dropped the British out of the Queen. Just called the Queen. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> once we were... I had you up the north, remember, and there was British Queens for sale, and then we down south, there was Queens for sale. That's it. And then I had a tour member one day had said to me, all these signs on the side of the road, she said, I was explaining the types of potato because there's pinks for sale as well. Cares pinks. Cares pinks. It's very famous. And she said to me, who's dug daily? And I said, that's, they're fresh potatoes for God's sake. They're dug every day. The sign said, potatoes dug daily. And she said to me, who's dug daily? But <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how we dig the potatoes. Egypt, we dig them daily. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel to Rick Steves. We're digging potatoes in Ireland here with uh, Liam O'Reardon and Stephen McPhillamy. This is crack. This is what you do in Ireland is you, you can hang out and talk. And uh, this Irish gift of gab, you know, you hear about the Irish gift of gab and you get there and you realize if you have a tough itinerary, you should throw it out the window because you are now in Ireland. You just want to connect with people. You want to enjoy the moment and you want to get into this art of conversation. And I am so charmed by the people I've met and the conversations I've had in Ireland. And I've been thinking about this compared to the Gaelic. Irish people obviously have a flair for the language and a joy in communicating in just a sparring kind of way, in a fun-loving way, in a clever way, in a comedy way, in a romantic way. Uh, And is it... I'm just curious about this. My own theory, Liam, is that it has something to do with coming from a Gaelic heritage, which might be a more flowery way or creative way to communicate, and then you might be wired that way and sort of translating literally from a Gaelic template... Therefore, the Irish gift of gab, whether in Gaelic or English, is different than the Danish or the German or the French gift mm. of gab. What's your thought on that? Well, I think because we've been oppressed over our rule for so long, um, we kind of had to make fun of ourselves. And and I think to all sorts of, of adversity, we, we laughed at it. Eventually, we ended up laughing at each other and saying, you know, there isn't much more they can do to us. Um, funny thing about crack is that anytime Steve calls me, or sends me a text message, the opening word is, any crack, sir? So like, what's up? Yeah. What's yeah. up? Any crack? Sir? How to how to determine what crack is? It's almost impossible to put into words. Um, I remember when I was younger, maybe Steve remembers this, but if you were to go on a foreign holiday from Ireland, you went to the Isle of Man. Mm-hmm. 
and you got a boat in Dublin and you ended up in the Isle of Man, which is just a little island off the... Yeah. English ruled, but right. most of us went to the Isle of Man for our first foreign holiday. And uh, there's a song called The Crack Was 90 in the Isle of Man, which meant that we had so much fun in the Isle of Man that it nearly was 100, 100%. So it was a 9 out of 10. It was a 9 out of 10, yeah. That's the song? That's the song. So that means the Irish there were having a good time, they're on vacation talking to each well, other, or were, they, were you connecting with the locals? Well, we were connecting with the locals, but, we, you know, we could... Uh, was, you, you were outside of Ireland. You brought the fun with you. Brought, you brought the fun with yeah, you. Yeah, I think you're more with your, with your own tribe over yeah. there. That song refers to getting locked up in the prison over there because we drank so much and we were because I've chatting heard, up the women. I've and, heard people go to the Isle of Man from Ireland and they can be away from their sectarian divisions and they can just have fun and then they got to go back into their corners when they go back to the island. Maybe that was during the Troubles. Yeah, that would have been during the, the Troubles. 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 Well, then, they got, then they say, i got to go back to my tribe. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness those days are a little, those days are pretty much old school now. Young, all gone, all gone, thank God. Really all gone. I, I love to think they're all gone. I, unfortunately, to my shame, I have to say, didn't go across the border to the north too often when I was young. Yeah. Mainly, I, I have to put my hand up and say I was probably afraid to go across the border because you didn't know what was going to happen. I used to go there to play sports and one weekend we went there and... Um, during the Troubles or after? Yes, during, during the, troubles. the Troubles. You went into the north? Yes. And uh, one weekend we went there and the hotel that we stayed in two weeks before had, was gone. It had been blown up. <laughs> and uh, is that the hotel in Belfast that's it was so, in Belfast, so yeah. famous for getting yeah, blown yeah, up? What, yeah. What's that hotel? It's the Europa U- Hotel. Europa, yeah. I stayed there once. Said yeah. extra prayers. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the most bombed hotel in <laughs> Europe. I think. But you know, having said that, I can honestly say that I crossed the border and I have great fun. I think the people up there are amazing. Yeah, I think they're so uh, welcoming. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be giving Steve a big head when I say this, but thank God all those troubles are gone. Isn't that honest. great? Yeah. So there's nothing inherently more friendly and charming and easygoing about a Catholic Irishman than a Protestant Irishman? That's the point I was about to make because there's great crack up the north too and our Protestant brothers in the north of Belfast or Ballymena, wherever they may be, mm-hmm. they love the crack as well. Yeah, because we're all, we're all part of the That's a very sport, interesting yeah. thing to me because I, I'm Protestant as can be and, and there is differences in sort of a approach to life between Catholics and Protestants. But in Ireland, you're Irish, yeah, and obviously you have to respect the fact that the Protestant community will often uh, regard themselves as British, but there is definitely an Irishness about them because yeah. they love they love their singing and they love getting together and playing fun at each other. And you know we're great practical jokers, and you know we well, have it's a nice dark you're humor. at a point now where you can practical joke with each other instead of bomb each other. Yeah, absolutely, it's a beautiful thing. There's a place in North London called Cricklewood, and uh, it's a very Irish area, and. We have 32 counties in Ireland and it's sometimes known as the 33rd county or as Liam would say, the 33rd county. <laughs> and that's, like, that's good. Which coming from you? Boom, boom. There's a, there's a, there's a great old uh, this song. Is the, this is a county, the, the extra county that's in London because there's so many Irishmen. Well, it's just, it's just it's a, a, it's affectionate a term, term for yeah, the right. place but it's full of paddies, full right. of Irish people. Right. And there's a great old tune and it, it says, uh, Oh, mother, this is refers to the 1940s and 50s. Oh, mother dear, I'm over here. I never will come back. What keeps me here is the smell of beer, the ladies and the crack. There you go, the crack. The crack was good in Cricklewood when Paddy went to Cone. There were glasses flying and women crying. Paddy was coming to die. (laughs) I'm glad that the troubles are diminishing into the past and they become part of your heritage, but the present is more positive and peaceful. You know, you had the Queen come in 2011. That was a big deal. And there was a few protesters, but there was, mm-hmm. you know, tens of thousands of supporters. And there were a few, um, few people were oblivious to it, but overwhelmingly it was very successful. 
and you have the Irish and English uh, sports teams playing each other and there's no real animosity anymore and yeah, people have moved on. Ireland's becoming a, a more progressive, modern nation these days. That's the exciting thing about travel is it's a work in progress and uh, yes. Ireland is one island and one nation that is so accessible. I get the thrill of thinking I'm understanding a foreign language everywhere I go. <laughs> And uh, the people are so so darn ready to just have a good time. Yeah. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been enjoying a little crack with our friends Liam O'Reardon and Stephen McPhillamy. Slancha. 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 And uh, in, in, to say thanks for uh, coming by in, in uh, the traditional Irish, Gorev Mahagot. Gorev Mahagot. It's 100,000 thanks. Again, please. Gorev Mila Mahagot. Gorev Mila Mahagot. It's 100,000 thanks. There you go. That's even more than Gorev Mahagot. Larney Town, there lives a hound The likes of him was never found He wins a drag, he hates all around Sticking out a mile from Blarney God be with those merry, merry days Merry, merry days, merry, merry days God be with those merry, merry days That we spent outside in Blarney I must raise the place for crack A better place for the boat to black If you go down there, you'll sure come back Sticking out a mile from Blarney God be with those merry, merry days Merry, merry days, merry, merry days God be with those merry, merry days That we spent outside in Blarney Some of our listeners have sent us haiku they've written about their vacations to Ireland and other Celtic lands. There's a place to send us your original travel haiku. It's on the radio page at ricksteves.com. Carrie Dexter from Tallahassee, Florida, sends us this haiku about a recent visit to Ireland. Winding mountain roads through sun and shadow framing stories as we go. Sarah Lynn Nichols from Lincoln, Nebraska, was surprised by the cacophony the crows made in Trim, Ireland, along the River Boyne, where she celebrated her 40th birthday. A great murder crows, ancient and louder than thought, from the Irish oak. Teresa de Belder writes us from Herblay, France, about a visit to the Finisterre region on the coast of Brittany. Clear green sea rising, ancient mother and shaper of a patient shore. And Jessica Salmons from Weatherford, Oklahoma, raves about her two weeks on the Gower Peninsula on the southern coast of Wales. Beautiful Gower. Wild horses roam like big pups. We ate so much lamb. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton, Casmara Hall, and Donna Bardsley at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington. Thanks to Gretchen Strout for reading our listener travel haiku. You can send us yours at ricksteves.com slash radio. Enjoy Europe on a Rick Steves bus tour. Our bus tours are designed to economically and efficiently share our love of Europe through my favorite places, people, and experiences. With small groups, strict health and safety protocols, great guides, and dozens of exciting itineraries, a Rick Steves Europe tour just might be the perfect fit for your travel dreams. Learn more at ricksteves.com.